2: He says, somebody's in the house. And I screamed.
3: Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
0: When you think about the future,
1: what kind of technology do you envision? Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is
0: Matt. My name is Noel.
2: They call me Ben, you are you, or at least a close approximation thereof. This is stuff they don't want you to know. You've heard of spellbooks before, probably, right? Uh, If this is a surprise to you, then buckle your seatbelt, because this is going to be probably one of your favorite episodes of our show. So... Several of us are fans of horror movies. If you are a fan of this show, you probably have a higher statistical likelihood of enjoying horror movies. Uh, I'm a big fan of them. Uh, and if you enjoy horror movies, then you're also familiar with that old trope, the cursed book, right? What's the most famous example of the cursed book?
1: Well, the one that comes to mind for me is H.P. Lovecraft's Necronomicon, which is that... Ancient cursed book, which is... More of it, a tome. I guess, yeah, it's a tome. It's clearly a work of fiction, because it is written by HP Lovecraft. Uh but numerous people have attempted to create a real Necronomicon.
2: Right. This this tome of dark eldritch magic. According to Lovecraft and the Cthulhu Mythos, it was composed by a and I'm quoting here mm-hmm. a half crazed Arab named Abdul Al Hazred. Uh we should note at this point that uh, amongst many other things, Lovecraft was cartoonishly racist we've covered this people right we've we've covered this and what's interesting is lovecraft himself maintained the book was entirely fictitious Mm -hmm. and what we found this will tie into some stuff later in the show is that despite the fact that whenever he was asked about it by friends family or journalists right and despite the fact that he would always say this is fictional not only did I make it up, but I didn't make up all of it. I just made up some excerpts for my short stories. Despite that, it got to a point of popularity where more and more people became fans of his cosmic horror genre and then started writing their own Necronomicons, as Matt said. And this takes a path from fiction to fandom to reality take place in more recent things. Like Slender Man started out as Pure fiction, purely knowledge fiction that gained such notoriety that ultimately it had real world well, the
0: Necronomicon has that same effect where it's, like, introduced and then reused and sort of, like, adjusted and adapted to different times, different personalities, and it almost takes on a life of its own like Slenderman where even though the original creator was like, yeah, this is definitely fake, the more you start to see it in different incarnations, the more the mind tends to go to, well, maybe it's not fake, you know?
2: Right, yeah, and that's the, the moral of the Necronomicon story in a way is just because something isn't real – Whoosh, whoosh, to take your air quote move doesn't mean that it is not dangerous. On a lighter note, there are many other spellbooks in fiction. Of course, we'll uh, we'll all recall, since we all have impeccable taste in films, Disney's Hocus Pocus.
1: Book, darling, come to mummy. Yes, book.
0: And let's not forget the the more malevolent, yet equally hilarious, Necronomicon Ex Mortis from the Evil Dead films. Hey.
3: Wait a minute. Everything's cool. I said the word. I did. No.
0: Or even that uh, that creepy book uh, with the face from the Care Bears movie. Yeah. Anyone? Yeah. You're
1: too late. Too late. The last spell is cast. No. Really? No, I, I I can't even handle that one.
0: Well, that, yeah. Oh, I was about to say, you. I thought you were saying you were not familiar, because that is the stuff of nightmares, my friend. It possesses
2: that kid. It possesses this yeah, little dude. kid
0: who's like the magician's assistant, makes him do things, and the Care Bears have to come down and do their stare. Care Bears! care bear Stair. remember the care bear so not i get too far off but all i'm right. sorry but, but that it is a necronomicon of sorts a grimoire of sorts because if in the way it's depicted in the film it is a big thick tome that he finds in a long forgotten dusty mm-hmm. magician's chest and it's got all of these kind of esoteric scrawls and different symbols all through it and it you know spawns this weird green bald kind of androgynous face that you know, makes him do things. It's it straight up possessed by a demon.
2: And what – that you know, that reminds me. This is a separate talk about censorship, which ties in later too. Uh The cartoons of yesteryear, I think, were a little better because they were less sanitized. Yeah. You know what I mean? A demonic possession film marketed towards children.
0: <laughs> Where the main heroes are fuzzy teddy bears with different – Symbols <laughs> on their tummies that can shoot out rainbow magic energy. Complete, completely new. What did it even do, by the way? What did the stare do? Did it just fill you with
2: goodness? It, it was like, uh, it was like the heart ring in Captain Planet, except bears.
1: Yeah, it was, it was overwhelming love and compassion. Yeah. Just yeah. That emanates from was, their tummies. It was
2: a very, it was a very, uh, aggressive form of nonviolence, because they were <laughs> shooting people. <laughs> Technically,
0: Now, it is not to say that a grimoire is inherently evil.
2: Yeah. Uh, you know, additionally, when we talk about just the, the fictional stuff, we also have another side, which would be that there are a lot of out and out hoaxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone wrote something and pretended they discovered some ancient source of knowledge hidden or occulted from the public eye. Uh, sorry, let me not say that in such a dumb voice. Oh, regular <laughs> occulted.
0: Was that an edit or was that you? No, that was just me not (laughs) wanting to
2: sound so NPR about it.
0: Fair enough. Now, I've got a question for you. Would you consider – we've talked about the Voynich manuscript and I know that's going to come up later in the episode. But since we don't really know, Mm -hmm. does something to to be considered a hoax have to have a hoaxer? Do you have to know who did it in order for it to be considered a hoax?
2: No. For something – that's an excellent question. For something to be considered a hoax, there must be something about it that is marketed or – propagated that is untrue so if you anonymously wrote something and 300 years later matt's descendants find it and they just don't know you wrote it that doesn't make it a hoax uh like well with the vanyan's manuscript they can't read it but if you wrote something that actually happened like 300 years ago this happened and we don't know who you are it doesn't make it a hoax if matt wrote something in 1998 and then waited in some master plan to give it to us and say, hey, I found this in a grave and it's 400 years old, that would definitely be a hoax.
0: But we're also sort of in the realm of like, you know, if I write a spell and tell you this is a legit spell and you can't do it, you can't recreate what I'm telling you it should be able to do. Is is that a hoax or are you just not any good at doing magic?
2: That's a great question. We raised that in one of our earlier episodes on the occult too because there's a a fuzzy line here with a hoax. For people who don't believe in magic, any book of magic written is essentially disingenuous, right? Uh, But there are quite a few people maybe not as often now but in in the span of human history who believe that they were simply the instrument from so for some supernatural or otherworldly being that was riding through them is it a hoax when the creators absolutely believe in it you know that's that's almost a matter of perspective but even let, let's go one further are there any real Grimoires, meaning are there any books of magic created by people who genuinely believed they were creating a how-to manual on, you know, the so-called occulted arts? Shall we have some facts then?
1: Yes, there are numerous examples of historical spellbooks Today, these are popularly known as what this episode is about, grimoires in the West. Uh, But, you know, what we're going to explore here is primarily stuff that's occurring in the Western world. Um it's it's crucial to note though that these things exist throughout the globe, throughout the planet, uh in the east and the north and the south, all of the cardinal directions you will find these. Uh, however, we would have to make up our whole like a whole different show to cover all of them.
2: Right, it wouldn't be just one episode to cover all the cultures across the globe that have their own varied traditions and rituals and incantations that other people might call magic and these people might just call, you know, their day-to-day life. A Tuesday. A Tuesday. Yeah, perfect. Uh, so, yeah, like you said, Matt, we're sticking with Western spellbooks, grimoires. First question, what's, what's with the name? That's not a name you hear every day. Scholars are not completely sure about the etymology of this word, but the most popular belief is that the term grimoire comes from, uh, Latin via Old French, grammaire, uh, which originally just described this, this is kind of funny. It originally just described any book written in Latin.
0: Hey, there you go. Do you think, is there any connection to the word grammar, perhaps? Like, a, like language?
2: There must be. Yeah, there must be with the root. And back in the day, something as mundane as a how-to manual on, uh, you know, avoiding the plague by Lord Noel Brown or, uh, well digging for dummies by Duke Matt von Frederick. Trademark. Trademark. It would also be a grimoire. Back then, and then, eventually, in France, people started just using the term "grimoire" to mean pretty much any book that was difficult to understand, anything that was a pain in the keister to read. And then the big shift to where this goes from just being a a, a word for difficult book to this book has magic powers came in the 19th century in uh, in Britain, in England, in the publication of a book called The Magus in 1801. The British had a a real profound interest in all occult matters at the time. You know, this is the age when people are getting into the concept of using scientific principles to investigate things that have once been thought to be purely the realm of spirituality and magic. So they're interested in this. And through this book, the term grimoire became firmly cemented in English as a word that meant specifically books of magic in General. And since that point, of course, we talked about the hoaxes that emerged and a lot of them ballooned after this book came out. Typically, stories take the same strokes. Uh, contemporary writer, uh, let's say, let's see, since this is an example of a, of a bad person, and I kind of picked on you guys by giving you cool books earlier, uh, let's say some, uh, slightly disingenuous Person we'll will we'll call him uh, Admiral Bolin or whatever uh, makes up a pseudonym like Antonio Ventiana della Rabina, who is the supposed author of the Grand Grimoire, also known as the Red Dragon. So this this charlatan of an admiral then implies that this text is ancient and it's handed down in secret for centuries millennia or if we want to get super weird with it a secret pre-existing civilization that rose and fell before the biblical flood
0: and then there's a bullet point here on the on our notes that's just four question marks so that's where we're at
2: (laughs) yeah and the next step after that is prophet Notoriety, et cetera. Oh, also, by the way, I never get to use this word. The word for things that existed before the biblical flood, prelapsarian. Ew. I know, it's not the sexiest word, but, you know, it, it never comes up. Uh, so obviously this proliferation of these fraudulent texts has given the whole enterprise of occult books a bad rap. But we also have to remember there's a context in which so many of these texts were made.
0: Yeah, not only were books in general much, much rarer and more expensive. They were a commodity. I mean, you had to be you know, a bit of a fancy pants to afford to have mm-hmm. books and to have access to good quality books mm-hmm. and books of high academic rigor.
2: Heck to read. Of course. Of course. <laughs> yeah,
0: duh. I'm putting the cart before the horse there. Uh, but yeah, but I mean, but research as we understand it today was in its infancy or it pretty much did not exist. You did not have the um resources to research in the way that we just have an embarrassment of riches via the Internet. You know, there's that Encarta encyclopedia C-ROM, you <laughs> right. know, those are great. I'm kidding, but it were great. That was a game changer. It was a game changer. But it when you look at it now, yes. it feels the way, you know, it must have felt to go from having a book to having a library, you know, mm-hmm. I mean. that's
2: a, that's a good point. And there was also this implicit degree of trust between authors and readers, right? Like after all, if we're living in the 1300s and we're some of the people who see a book that happens not to be a well, religious text, like the Bible, then Holy smokes. Of course, it's gotta be true. Why would somebody spend years handwriting this thing? If it was, gobbledygook or just for fun just for fun why would somebody do an elaborate troll like that
0: well and i guess that's a big part of why when like things like pamphlets and tracts became widely distributed Mm -hmm. that was a great way to misinform the populace because Mm -hmm. you could those were cheap to make you could very easily kind of fit some propaganda in there and have it circulate and have that same mentality of oh it's printed on paper therefore it must be the truth Mm
2: Can you imagine how those guys would have felt, uh, those ladies and gentlemen, if they saw Facebook posts <laughs> I mm-hmm. that's pamphlet pamphletized a million? So this means that, of course, while grimoires get a hard time, books of magic were not the only inaccurate things out there by any means. Um but we do know that before the British called spellbooks grimoires, before the French read Latin, before even the age of the Roman Empire, magic in some form existed around the world or magical practices, earliest precursors to books of magic are these incantations found on clay tablets in Mesopotamia. And that's the earliest we've found yeah. so far.
0: Well, would you guys mind if we pause for a quick break before we got into the details of that? Sounds good. Cool. We'll
2: and we're back. We're back in 2016, but we're talking about ancient Mesopotamia. Let's fast forward 20-
1: 2017, bro. Oh, it's 2017.
2: It's weird. What? It is 2017. Where's my flying car? <laughs> yeah. Where is your flying car? It's in my suitcase. <laughs> but the suitcase also flies. We should have thought of that. Oh jeez. It's
1: uh, a yes. big suitcase. Uh,
2: all right. I got the year wrong. It is 2017. (laughs) But back before it was even 2016, like way before, the Greeks believed the first people to compile books of magic were uh, in the Persian culture, where a Persian tribe known as, wait for it, the Magi. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's basically like magic without the sea.
1: Hey, that is a cool, that is a cool word and term. I I don't for some reason I love
0: that. I've actually heard it pronounced magi quite oh, a lot as well. the magi? Mm-hmm. Like there's a story of the gift of the magi. I've I've heard that, I've heard it pronounced mm-hmm. that way.
1: Oh, I thought um, it was magi.
0: Well, I, no, I think it's I think both are acceptable. Listeners call me out, tell me oh, I'm no. full And there of
2: it. was some translation stuff too oh, because totally. in mm-hmm. earlier text it used to be spelled MAJI, you mm-hmm. know. So, oh. yep, yeah, uh folks We're talking about the same ones, the famous wise men of the East, Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps best known today in our neck of the woods for their cameo during Christ's birth in the Christian Bible.
0: Um, I grew up in a a classical music family and um, one of the – sort of opera's kind of an operetta I suppose that my mother was quite fond of was it's called A Mall and the Night Visitors and it's Dude, about you know
1: it my dad played a mall for a
0: long sure. time it's it's a thing churches do it all the time but yeah. the wise men are really central characters in it because they hang out a lot and they all have their own personalities. And one of them has this box that he carries around that's full of all these amazing little trinkets. Yeah. And and like one of them are like uh, a bunch of them are these precious stones that he considers magical. Yeah. And he describes them and it's like moonstone will make you sleep and like lapis lazuli and like all these different ones that have these different properties that are all clearly Mm-hmm. Charms. You know I mean? charms yeah. yeah. But he, uh, uh, you know, ascribed very specific effects to mm-hmm. these stones just by placing them near you. And Amal, the main character, is a boy who can't walk and has to use a crutch. And, uh, the wise man is trying, you know, attempts to even cure him or implies that he could cure him using use, some of these, oh. these trinkets. Use but I'm just saying, it's these interesting. Charms,
2: yeah. You know. And that's, that is because, uh, originally before we see the rise of the book. We're still like talking about before the age of the book. These spells would be inscribed on amulets and things like that. So the the Greeks believed that the first magician, magi, to compile occult works into a single large text or collection was a Persian associate of King Xerxes. Remember from 300? i'm kidding <laughs> the the, uh, the one with all the nipple rings yeah. oh wow i think that's not uh entirely an accurate <laughs> film uh but th- there was a magician the story goes named Ostenes, and during xerxes failed war with greece around 480 bce this magician allegedly scattered the seeds of what would become much of the world's modern, in, in the time of the Greeks' understanding, magical thinking. Mm. Uh, also, the in this story, the Magi learned their arts, their occult arts, from uh, Zoroaster. So this is a tie-in with the earlier religion of Zoroastrianism.
1: I was going to say, yeah. So I've, I've heard that mentioned in several places on the net that those guys were Zoroastrians.
2: You're on the net. On the net, you're on the net. That's nothing yeah. but a bunch of pamphlets. That's, oh crap. Blue is the web then. That's
0: my favorite Sandra Bullock film. <laughs>
2: <laughs> you know, I rewatched Speed and it doesn't hold up. Lies! <laughs> uh, so today, as we said, they're, they're thought to be, uh, grimoire is like a, an umbrella term for different types of magical knowledge. And it can include everything from, you know, how to create charms, a la the magi, how to perform spells, Practice divination, which is a big one. Summon supernatural entities: angels, spirits, demons, dominoes. We actually have a grimoire that we have to use every single
0: time we podcast with Ben because he just, you know, we have to, you know, summon him. He has to materialize from his interdimensional. Uh, what do you call it? Lair.
2: Allegedly.
1: Yeah. Uh, just so you guys know, in three separate grim- grimoire. I found uh spells to ward against cattle witching and uh diabolical mischief and cattle, like how to ward against it. It's pretty awesome. It was a
2: big problem. It yeah. It was a big problem. Oh, we want to thank everybody who wrote listener mail to us about that.
0: You know what occurred to me, like how come supernatural entities and extraterrestrial entities alike can't quit messing with the damn cattle? <laughs>
2: That's a great question. <laughs> Snatching babies, stealing cattle, and there's, there's a, uh, there's a troubling and compelling argument about how closely older descriptions of the fae or fairy folk can, uh, jibe, like almost a one-on-one correlation with stories about UFOs. But you know what, man? Maybe it's, maybe it's like, you know how you follow the money in, in politics? Maybe we follow the cattle in, UFO, I'm just gonna <laughs> leave this room. Just is.
1: really fast, I wanna say how, how important the cattle were to peoples of the times when a lot of this were, Absolutely. were written. Oh, sure. And so if anything's going wrong, if you're not getting milk correctly or if there's blood in the milk or, you know, whatever small ailment the cow has, that's gonna be the biggest problem that your whole, you know, group mm-hmm. is experiencing at that time.
2: Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's easy for some people who don't, who have not lived in an agricultural environment to, you know, we can, we can poke fun at this and it's all, it's all good nature, but it's sort of the idea of, let's say if your family owns cattle, right? They're probably pretty well to do in many ways, Mm. but think of it like your, your father or your mother would then be the same thing as like they own a small car lot. Every single one of those is super important, mm. and if something goes wrong, then it's food out of your mouth.
1: Yeah, exactly, except in this case, instead of cars, you're literally drinking and, like, consuming yeah. the byproduct, you know? It's true. So, it's like, true. so, yeah, I got to live.
2: <laughs> and uh, And so – these books were like compendiums almanacs uh, uh reference works of all this other stuff that existed oral traditions sometimes the books themselves were believed to be imbued with magic powers not just the stuff you would read or do from the manuals or the the grimoire but the physical object and there's a special note here that i think is important we're lucky to have listeners of all spiritual stripes or no spiritual stripes on this show and like that preacher character in poltergeist said all are welcome all are welcome bless your heart bless your heart (laughs) exactly and then he said
0: oh (laughs) spoiler alert
2: (laughs) (laughs) that's a good film uh but so you might be hearing this talk of magical books either on this episode or another episode and wonder, you know, hey, how do spiritual reference works fit into, you know, holy text and stuff? Hmm.
0: Why I was wondering that, Ben. <laughs> Great.
2: <laughs> well, no time like the present. Technically, these would not be considered grimoires. In fact, many people would consider the correlation to be offensive, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in the current day, they're definitely not considered that, but many do contain either explorations of the occult or mentions of the occult. You know, there are characters that are fortune tellers, soothsayers, uh, practicers of, of witchcraft. And some of the, some of these books were often believed to have physical magical properties themselves. Just the text on the page imbued it with some sort of power. And this belief exists in a more subdued form today. This is why, for example, you can hear religious excerpts being read during exorcisms in Catholicism and and that's just one example. You can check out our exorcism episode for more info.
1: And despite all of these hoaxes uh, that we've talked about, we do know that there are a couple, let's call them true with quotes uh, grimoires. In in his book, Grimoires, A History of Magical Books, author Owen Davies names several. So we're going to go through a couple of these.
0: Yeah, and they're from all across the spectrum of religions as well. Jewish, Christian, Islamic traditions, Mm -hmm. all of them.
1: Yeah, well, yes. And all of these were – they were influenced by this babylonian myth that is right. ancient super ancient uh, and the origin of these magic books were dated to the age before the great flood has been said
2: prelapsarian
1: Ugh. okay <laughs> it's not that bad of a word pre uh, yeah. as long Makes as you think of prolapse. i was going to say as long as it's not prolapsarian i never thought about that
2: <laughs> oh man i'm a prolapsarian i just lost this word now <laughs> i guess it's better that i get it now this even... explains why everybody
0: – A prolapse is a scientific word. I know, There's but I no know really, it's true. There's no reason to it. edit
2: that. I don't even want to say on the mic. say it. I did. It's too late. <sighs> yes. Well, my misunderstanding of <clears throat> before the flood, which is a the prelapse area is still a great word, you guys. Uh The idea here is that – the ancient roots of what would become magic in the West, which would be Babylonian, Mesopotamian, Egyptian, interacting with uh, Grecian mythology, uh this stuff becomes sort of a, um, a primordial ooze, you know, okay. a, a soil from which these other things grow. And while some Hebrew and Samaritan texts ascribed writings to the first man, Adam – in late antiquity, in the medieval period, uh, Enoch, who in Arabic was known as Idris, was more generally believed to be the inventor of books. So overall. Yeah. So we're so far back in time now that we're looking at uh, spiritual and religious traditions as well as stuff history tells us. But this right now is is purely the stories from these belief systems. So in the tradition, enoch is the is the creator essentially of the first book would also the first magic. the first book is essentially magic. Mm-hmm. Another tradition relates here's another worldly author, how the angel Raziel communicated to Noah a secret book containing the art of astrology, which was then written on a sapphire like we were talking like writing on emeralds and and precious jewels uh, that Noah kept in a golden chest they brought with him on the ark. Subsequently, this was inherited by his son Shem and a surviving – there's a surviving tract on astrology called the Treatise of Shem uh, that dates back to the late first century BCE. Uh, Wow. This means that um, these are two early contenders for what could be considered a kind of grimoire. The purported books of Enoch contained astronomical, astrological, and angelic lore, and we know – that versions of these were circulating during the time of Jesus Christ. So in another medieval account, and again, these are all medieval accounts. So this Mm -hmm. is still that, that period of time where people were just believing almost anything they read, as long as it did not directly contradict their religious beliefs. Sure. So without getting too deep into biblical chronology, the argument here would be the earliest works on the occult sciences were those studied by Enoch, but the first book of conjuration and magic is associated with Noah and his sons Shem and Ham. And in many ways, this veers into conjecture, of course, often that's sadly par for the course. In some degree, when we're dealing with ancient history. But There's another one that's a little bit further, a little bit closer to us in time, Okay. whatever year we're in. I can't believe I forgot that it was 2017.
0: I didn't mean to call you out. No,
2: someone should. At least I was really close. You were so close.
0: (laughs) That's one of my New Year's resolutions is to call people out more this year.
2: Oh, that's so sweet. Like like the uh, fascinating. Yep. I remember that.
0: I certainly remember. I invite the same, gentlemen and <laughs>
2: listeners. I am no gentleman, though. No. Uh Owen Davies cites the – I didn't mean that to come off so ominous. Uh Owen Davies cites another one, The uh Key of Solomon, which you may have heard of if you have an interest in Grimoire. It pops up in fiction all the time, too. I think it even pops up in video games now. Uh, no, I can't recall which one. Uh You guys probably know better than I would. Uh, Clavicula Solomonus is the is the official name, Key of Solomon, sort of the anglified street name. It was the earliest known written versions. There are multiple versions of a lot of these kind of books. It uh, dates back to the 15th century, somewhere in the 1400s, written in Greek. Davies uh, has a great quote for us about this. There is no definitive version of the clavicule,
0: but along with conjurations to command and control the angels of darkness. Manuscripts usually contained rituals and symbols for personal rather than spiritual well-being, such as to provoke love, punish enemies, become invisible, and deal with thieves.
1: And also unlock any door. I found that to be interesting.
2: Yeah, that's pretty cool. And I, I like that deal with these. Don't you was, find
0: these all to be really practical, timely yeah. kind of things? Mm-hmm. You know? They're like life pro tips. Exactly. Yeah,
2: yeah, there's, there's nothing, uh, there's nothing there in that list that's super, super abstract. You know, abstraction would be more like the great work of alchemy. Yeah, there's nothing about
0: summoning the eldritch horrors that will then turn your mind to jelly. You know? That's that, true. That should be a thing.
1: They're uh, remedies for gout that I'm looking yeah. at
0: right here. Yeah, exactly. It's
1: a, a big problem. <laughs>
0: I, I have I have one uh, that I actually found in a, a work that we'll talk about in a little bit. But uh, would you like to hear a spell, Yes, gentlemen? Love, yeah. 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 Let's, let's do <clears throat> some
2: spells. Okay. So
0: this one is as described in in the passage read, read a second ago. It's got these little symbols. Um, that I, I'm not, it's not quite clear what their origins are, but they, they kind of look almost like Hebrew a little bit. They're kind of like, what do you think, Ben? What are these, did those, uh, jump out as, to, to, as they look?
2: Particular? maybe, uh, some older Arabic Maybe perhaps? older
0: Arabic. That's, yeah, they're definitely, they're kind of a cursive-y, uh, f- very fluid, um, stroke where the, the characters are connected together. They're not like very definitive individual characters. They're sort of like a big flowy central line and then different, um, sort of, Filigreed little bits along the, uh, the path. But here's one, uh, to know of treasure hidden in the earth. Hmm. And this comes from a book called the discovery of witchcraft, which was written by a man named Reginald Scott, who was from Kent in England and uh, was a, was a gentleman. Uh, and it was published in 1584. We'll go into this work a little bit more. But I think it's a perfect place to hear a spell. This one, to know of treasure hidden in the earth. On a piece of paper, write the following characters on a Saturday in the hour of the rising moon and lay it where you think treasure might be hidden. If there's treasure on that spot, the paper will burn. And then it gives the characters. Whoa, interesting. And just to give proper credit, this comes from a blog post by a gentleman named Jason Mankey who, uh, has a book called The Witch's Book of Shadows that you can seek out, um, which sort of, uh, talks about different historical grimoires, including the key of Solomon and some others that we'll discuss, including this one. But yeah, all very seemingly practical. Like I, I, I want some treasure. I want sure. to know, if, you know, it's sort of a pre, a pre metal detector, you know?
2: Yeah, that's a great point. And so these were practical things. And this means that the first collection of spells probably dates back into antiquity. It probably just didn't happen to be in a book form yet before the rise of the book. But the, the spell like Noel just read very, very practical instructions in, yeah. in, in, in that age, right? And so of course you want to accumulate all of those and have them in one place and the concept of magic itself predates writing because it goes back to oral tradition and stuff so another big question is if these sorts of things have been around since the dawn of recorded history why aren't there more examples one of the answers to that question is also surprisingly pragmatic and practical and grounded in the real world censorship boo Mm -hmm. Yep. By the early years of Christianity, magic scrolls and books were in wide circulation. But to the church, magic fundamentally smacked of paganism, a competitor. Every uh, no matter whether someone professed to be a Christian, if they were still engaging in pagan practices, you know, like uh, some sort of divination using the entrails of animals or something that was still paganism to them. Is the Bible a grimoire? The Bible is not a grimoire. No. The Bible is, uh, the Bible contains stuff about occult information and occult characters practicing mm-hmm. magic show up, but it doesn't tell people how to do it. And it's interesting because there is a, there is an evolution in the early days of Christianity where we see the, the line between what was perceived of as magic and what was perceived as Holy practices or whatever became blurred, depending on who you ask. And I
0: wonder if the 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 use of the word occult as a term of abuse, you know, occult meaning hidden, mm-hmm. is is part of that or was proliferated by uh, Christianity and Catholicism because. If the Bible doesn't tell you how to do the tricks, it just kind of tells you you should follow, and right. leave that to the people that know how, that know what's up in terms of like who can commune with you know, right the Holy yeah. Spirit. I mean, obviously, in certain beyond Catholicism, you could do it yourself. That was a big part of you know the right, Reformation and all yeah. that. But I like the idea of Christianity being anti occultism because they already have their own book and they already have their own experts and their own practitioners mm-hmm. of that are higher level and they don't want the plebs getting yeah. their fingers in that stuff.
2: Right, thou shalt not intercede, right? Uh but the, there's a that's I just made that up and used thou shalt, but you, the argument is absolutely sound what you're saying Noel is that 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 is an interesting juxtaposition there, a position for them to take. And it reminds me, before we go on, did you guys ever hear that Prince Philip quote about uh religion? It it drove the uh more conspiratorial minded people quite quite mad. And it was a uh it was a quote where he talks about the revealed religions. And a lot of people thought that to mean there was a hidden, a mystery or an occult religion of which he and some other elite cabal was was part or were part uh, but the word apparently the way the w- the word is being used a revealed religion is something that has its beliefs and its value system set down in a book or a text mm-hmm. according to the official story but to the church at the time, early days of the church, they saw magical works as impediments to the socio-political dominance of their belief system, which meant they sought to actively destroy works that ran counter to its purpose, which at that time was to convert people, right? As many as possible to protect uh adherence of their belief system from uh the prejudice and discrimination of other groups and, you know, other – like this is – Basically, what religions were having to do to survive, especially if there was a state-sponsored religion that had a lot of yeah. power, and uh, you got to get yeah. that
1: tithe money in. I mean, <laughs> how can you build, you know, entire complexes, <laughs> uh, churches, cities without that tithe money?
2: So they would be destroying books, and books were very powerful. Books are still powerful today. The book is not going away for a long time. Of course, just a bit of foreshadowing here. There were apparently a few exceptions to their rules of burning and destroying unholy books, and you will read ad nauseum so many stories about certain unspeakably vile works hidden in the bowels of the Vatican. Point of order though, although Christianity gets picked on for book burning pretty often nowadays, and although There were a lot of books burned and a lot of religions names. The early church was not the originator early Christian church. I should say Mm -hmm. it was not the originator of this idea way before they got started. Pagan Roman authorities were also suppressing any literature that threatened state control of religion, especially like we've named all these powers, right? Mm -hmm. How to how to sneak into places, how to find treasure, how to summon angels and demons. But the thing that. Civilizations were most frightened by in these magical workings. It wasn't cattle witching. It wasn't necromancy. It was divination. It was the idea that if, even if it was a totally fictional prophecy, if enough people believed in it, it would destabilize the state. It would destabilize, uh, the military. It would, you know, topple the House of Cards or the Column of Cards, the Parthenon of Cards. <laughs> yeah.
1: Uh, well, th- this is something yeah. I wanted to bring up really fast. I, I was watching all of these YouTube videos with this gentleman named Tarl Warwick. That's at least what he calls himself. Uh, the YouTube channel is Hexenhammer 666 And he uh, – I, I don't know exactly what he is besides an editor of books. And a translator, and also a thinker, and an occultist, I guess. You say his name is Tor? Uh, Tarl, Tarl. Tarl, and believe that's at least what he calls himself. But one of one of his main arguments when discussing the occult, he has a whole video series on the occult, is mm-hmm. that if a belief is held by enough people and strongly enough, then it is what separates that from. Uh, Reality and fiction, right? If the if the belief is strong enough, so one of these tomes that would be considered uh, a grimoire, if enough people believe that it's real, mm-hmm. is it not real in some way? Uh, if there are enough people actually chanting out the words that are inside of it, or right. uh, you know believing that it's true, and so I can imagine that the Romans were uh, terrified that if one person gave this. Uh, divine prophecy, then enough people believed it, then perhaps they're gonna try and fulfill it no matter what.
2: Yeah, there's a memetic or viral quality to belief. So if Noel receives a prophecy and enough people believe it and follow him, depending on what the prophecy is, it could just be self-fulfilling.
0: Yeah. Man, I got prophecies for days. <laughs> yeah. Ask me about something.
2: Uh, alright, yeah. Uh, Hey Noel, what's uh what's gonna be you know how like the guitar is often considered the main instrument of a lot of modern music today? What's gonna is it gonna have a replacement and if so what would that be? The keytar.
0: Hmm. It's like a guitar. But it's also a keyboard. That's pretty good. It's I mean that just a,
2: it's gonna make a comeback. That just checks out.
1: Yeah. Okay, I have one really fast. Oh. Sure. When will Twenty One Savage retire and become Whatever his next thing is. I don't know who that is. All right. It's good enough for me.
2: I think sometimes we see uh, we see only partially, you know. Through a glass darkly. There we go. Yeah. See, he read my mind. In 186 BCE. Oh, I do have a prophecy. Oh, you do? We need to take a break. And so
0: it shall be fulfilled. <laughs>
1: and so if
2: it was fulfilled that's crazy right when you said that that happened
1: <clears throat> and I, I didn't even say those things it just came out It like
2: <sighs> I saw your eyes roll back are you cool you're bleeding <clears throat> a little out of your ear uh, I'll be alright alright well here's a Q-tip thanks while you're while you're queuing up uh, which is our new slang for oh, Q-tips God. while you're queuing up uh, let's let's further this with some examples of times that non-christians or non-monotheistic religions were like burning books or non-ebramaic religions we should say in 186 BCE for example the senate rounded up and burned books only books on sooth saying okay uh the the medicinal stuff was fine over a century and a half later 2000 books also on divination, were uh, burned on the orders of Emperor Augustus. But it wasn't just for magical books either. It was just books that people disagreed with, like religious and philosophical works. didn't do much better. In 181 BCE, somebody found a buried chest of books that were supposedly the work of Pythagoras. And then the Senate said, oh, wow, what treasure? Burn it. Oh. I mean these guys were burning books left and right. Uh religious works of course were also burned by opponents on all sides. If we were living back then and Matt and Noel and I each had different religions like one of our main missions would be to destroy the other people's stuff. Yeah, as much unfortunately, as possible. Uh and and then try to convert each other. Which reminds me of that story. I don't know if you ever heard it. Just real quick. And, and listeners, please fill this in if you're more familiar with this story than I am. There were three patients at a, an asylum, a mental health facility who were each convinced they were Jesus Christ. And one of the staff members, one of the doctors there said, you know what? Let's just, let's put these guys in a room and see what happens. And then they thought they would come to blows or go crazy, you know, have some sort of break. But instead, they came back to find them apparently like pleasantly chatting, just about everyday stuff. And then one on one interviews apparently revealed that they had, they had each come to the conclusion that the other two guys were crazy.
1: This is, um, I've heard of this. It's got a weird name. It's like the three christs of, and then you insert the name and it's like, it starts
0: with a Y. Hmm. The three christs of Ypsilanti. Wait, is that it? It's a silent why. Yeah, I mean it definitely starts with a why. There's a book and a film according to uh,
2: the Google. uh, Thank you. Good save, Noel. So do check that out because it shows just some of the intricacies of the human mind and perspective. But all this burning, all this censorship led to an unfortunate situation wherein modern experts may know that a certain text existed. We may find multiple references to it in other documents and other historical works, but all copies of it were either lost to history or consigned to the tragic ashes of a fire somewhere. And this means that many grimoires are fakes or half-truths or destroyed in the thousands of years since humanity invented books, Found we enjoyed burning them (laughs) and uh, the very beginning of what we happen to call the year 2017. And I don't know about you guys, but I'm thankful that for now, people have not found a way to burn podcasts.
1: Yeah, we we should have been making books out of something less flammable early on, I think. (laughs) It's (laughs) easy to say
2: that now. So uh, to sum it all up, the TLDR, uh, Davies writes that the magic of the first millennium, as we know it from surviving written texts, which is a heck of a caveat now, as we know, was primarily a mix of Greek, Egyptian, Babylonian, and Jewish influences. Medieval grimoires reflect this, but new traditions developed as scholars, uh, theologians, and I would also insert charlatans, reconceptualized and reconstructed, sometimes falsely, the cultures, philosophies, and beliefs of the ancient world. And at this point at this point we have to we have to give the the bummer disclaimer no bummer announcement at this point as we we're recording this and we looked absolutely no one ever has provided accepted reproducible proof that any spell or incantation in any true grimoire works at least so far as we could find And most of the claims regarding a successful ritual are either very old and anecdotal, or they're backed up by the same single group of spiritual adherents. Yeah. So like, there's not anybody saying
1: that group did it successfully over there, that one.
2: Right. And there's not someone saying, well, let's ship the book off to, you know, Dunwich and try it there Hmm. and get the same results.
1: That anecdotal thing is something we've, found in a couple different podcasts and episodes where we really wanted to find evidence. I, I, it reminds me of the ghosts episodes where we are looking so hard to find something that we could say this is proof that, that this exists. But everything that you read is the story from one person or two people, you know,
0: a small group that performed a ritual and it was successful. And it's one of these things where – should it be that hard to find the evidence of a single person with all of these different books, all of these different accounts? If it was a thing, shouldn't, shouldn't it be a little easier to find a video, a YouTube video of someone successfully performing a spell or a ritual?
2: And there, there are questions because there are also people who will say, well, I've successfully performed a ritual and it had results that are either not easily comprehended measurable. or depicted yeah. or measurable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And so one of the things that came
0: up a lot in the um, alchemy episode, yes, mm-hmm.
2: right. Is it a uh, weaponized psychology? I believe was the phrase. And it's true that some of the things that you can do to yourself and others simply through psychological manipulation come very close to what we would think of as acts of magic, you know, 800 years ago or so. We do know now, while there might not be any proof so far as we know, and we would love to see proof if if you feel you have some, please send it to us. Uh, this is not – we're not going to blow up the spot if you ask us not to tell anybody. We just want to know. While there isn't any proof so far that we know of, of people actually successfully, reproducibly – that's the important part – casting spells from a book, there are mysterious books in the world, many Many more than you might think. And we have some examples of grimoires that are still either unsolved or have numerous questions or that we're convinced if they uh, – we're convinced that there's stuff about them we have yet to fully understand.
1: And we have a bunch of examples here in no
0: particular order.
1: The Book of Soiga, which was allegedly given to John D. on March 10th of 1552. The queen's favorite alchemist. By an angel. It, what? Yes. It was then lost for 500 years following the death of Mr. D. And then uh, apparently two copies remain in England. uh th- That is where they exist. And they're written in this code that is yet to be solved. That's mm-hmm.
2: pretty cool. Mm-hmm. It's pretty strange, especially considering a book was lost for 500 years. Another is the Prodigiorum at Ostentorum Chronicon, or Chronicle of Portents and Prophecies. This is interesting because it was written in 1557, thereabouts, by a guy named Conrad Lycosthenes. This book is a reference work of sorts, and it contains – here's the thing. It contains documented – Events, like we know historically these happened, stuff that you can't fake, like Halley's Comet at the correct time, like floods, disasters, but in between these different world events that are accurate, it also contains descriptions of sea monsters and UFOs and things that today are more relegated to the realm of fringe theories.
0: Uh, next, we have the one I mentioned earlier, which, uh, upon further discussion and, 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 you know, observation, I don't know if necessarily be classified as a grim- grimoire or not, but I think it's worth mentioning because of what it contains. Um, it is The Discovery of Witchcraft, written by a Sir Reginald Scott. Uh, he's not officially a Sir to my knowledge, but I think it's got a nice ring to it, <laughs> mm-hmm. who was a Kentish gentleman, a gentleman from Kent. In England, um, and he, uh, was attempting to debunk witchcraft and place the blame, uh, for the execution of witches on, you know, the Catholic Church, a lot of these witch scares and witch trials, and wanted to kind of paint these Many of these women who were killed uh, as as complete and total victims and, you know, meant this not this uh book to be a very damning portrayal of the way the church, the Catholic church behaved. But it, it ended up becoming, I think, possibly counter to Scott's intended purpose. uh, This collection of various bits of lore and even different spells, one of which we read earlier about finding the treasure, uh, became widely read. And considered a resource on the subject. So I'm wondering, Ben, you said that resource books and and historical collections Mm -hmm. of this kind of uh, esoterica, this kind of witchcraft um, spells and such would necessarily be considered a grimoire. But isn't it also in how you choose to use it? Is it all about the intent? That's because, a really good question. I, I don't know. I, I, yeah. I'm asking. Um, I, I think this is worth a mention, but it's, yeah. it's up for debate. The jury's still out as to whether or not this would actually be considered a grimoire. Well, so, I listeners, think, if you have any thoughts on that, please let us know.
2: I think it would if it has a collection of Lord spells, even if he didn't intend it to. There's this uh, this conversation that we've been having off off air for a long time about you know who owns a piece of art after it's created, whether it's a sculpture, a song, or, you know, a story or a book. It did have a spin to it. Like mm-hmm. I said, a, a markedly
0: anti-Catholic spin and ultimately anti-witchcraft. I think it was a little bit uh, sympathetic in a way, but kind of like thought it was frivolous, not dangerous at all, just sort of like a passing fancy sort of, if you will. I see. And meant to sort of neuter it.
2: Well, that, I mean, and that would be effective because the ideas uh, about The the ideas about witchcraft in Europe at the time were largely held and propagated by people who saw themselves as opponents of the practice and a lot of innocent people died. So if this book got through to someone, if if Sir Reginald Scott's book did prevent someone from being executed in some incredibly torturous way, then I think it was a good – it was a good deed. However, I could easily see – the unfortunate path that appears to have happened where someone said, here, I found a grimoire too. I don't care what he says about these spells. I'm going to find some treasure, you know? And, and I think you make a beautiful point about the use of these things, right? Like, uh, is a can of gas and a lighter, a ticket to, uh, a warm fire at night, or is it, a ticket to burn down a, a building, you know? Ooh, it is all things. And if, if these, if the belief here is that this magic actually works, then in a way, people would see these books as weapons, even if somebody made one that said, clearly I'm showing you that this is all malarkey and you should stop hurting people for silly reasons. But, uh, then also, there's some stuff, uh probably one of the the some of the biggest legends. We've talked about some, like there's the Book of Shadows that we touch upon mm-hmm. in our video stuff. There's one that got me um that I'd really like to hear from the listeners about. It's called the Grand Grimoire, or the Red Dragon. And this is sort of um this is one of the 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 white whales of the of the Grimoire world. It was allegedly written in 1520 and uh it was penned by a guy named Honorius of Thebes during a particularly nasty bout of demonic possession. Oh yeah. And so in there, it's so, yeah. And so uh, you have, and so <laughs> apparently the spells within it work. It was owned. Uh, the The legend goes it's owned by the Roman Catholic church and it's unavailable to the public. It contains the only working rituals to summon uh Satan or other demonic forces such as Pazuzu – think like Pazuzu from The Exorcist. Mm -hmm.
0: Pazuzu!
2: (laughs) And (laughs) Baal. And (laughs) Baal. Right. (laughs) And and then also ways to corrupt the pope over time. Oh, wow. So if all that's true, why didn't anyone destroy it, especially with his predilection for burning books?
0: Off the subject a little bit, are you guys stoked about The Young Pope? Because I'm really
2: excited about it. I haven't, I've seen the trailer. I
1: watched the first 20 minutes of the first episode last night. I love it, but Diana was falling asleep, so I said we're going to table it till tonight. Put a pin in
0: it. Yeah. Well, listeners, let us know what you're thinking about The Young Pope. I'm excited about it.
1: The first shot of yeah. the entire thing. Yeah. Have you seen it? No. Uh, you haven't seen it? No. Okay. All right. I've the ne- first uh, thing yeah. you see. I'm trying to figure it out, trying to see where they're taking me. But again, I've only seen the first 24 minutes or so, but the first shot.
2: You know, I know they can be controversial throughout history, but I've never had an unpleasant conversation with a pope, on my end at least. Have you divined so conversations with popes? Here's the kicker. Here's why they can't destroy (laughs) the book. Oh, yeah. Because apparently it can't burn.
1: Is there any way we can have that happen and then – Talk about the young pope, cause it was building it up so well. I was waiting for Ben to say, it can't burn. And then go to the young pope. Is
2: okay. that possible? I thought like the I young pope
0: worked. That's I okay. I think it's fine. I think it's okay,
2: okay. Me. Cause we're clearly like having fun with each other. Okay, okay. Cool, cool. Um, beep. Now I know that's a lot to take in folks, uh, and I want to let people know I looked, I, uh, I recently also, uh, I've been sending some correspondence to the, to the Vatican to see, you know, if there's any sand to the story because I at this point couldn't find uh, an official yes or no over whether they own a book like this. Uh, there are copies or purported copies that you can buy because apparently it's uh, popular in some other circles, uh, especially in voodoo related circles. But those aren't the only mysterious books. There's also some that I would consider the, the we don't know books, like the Ruhongsi Codex, uh, donated to the Hungarian Academy of Sciences in the early 19th century. Not only do we not know what it's about, because it's written in, like the Soyga, uh, like the Soyga Chronicles, an uncracked code. We also don't know where it comes from. It just sort of showed up with an alphabet all its own some people believe it is a hoax but so far at the time of the recording no one has proven that to be the case
1: and then of course there's the voynich manuscript we've talked about this is an older video this has come up in numerous episodes just as uh, a creepy cool uh i don't one of those topics that you could bring up at any dinner conversation and you'll you will be the talk the toast of the dinner the table. Cause it's just, it's really cool. Well,
0: it doesn't have any inherently, like, occultish, it right. doesn't have spells. It's, it's, it's all these amazing, gorgeous, frankly, illustrations mm-hmm. of things that just frankly don't exist. Right. Wow, but they might.
2: Like plants that aren't real, mm-hmm. you know, in, in a very naturalistic, uh.
0: As though it were a, a medical illustration of perfect. some sort or like, like, like you said, a, uh, Something from Darwin's journals, perhaps, like very much looks to be observational illustrations,
2: which is what makes it so darn cool. It's named after the book dealer Wilfred uh, Wanich, who acquired the book in 1912, and it's been dated to sometime around the 1400s, maybe as recently as 1438, and it appears to be, as you were saying, uh, part pharmacopoeia, illustrations of plants and herbs, but also part alchemy part just treatise on the cosmos, part of an encyclopedia for a world that doesn't exist. And it appears that this, this is just scratching the surface of one part of the world's evolution with magic and just just a few of those books there's so many more but it appears that whether or not you believe in magic yourself there really is stuff they don't want you to know about grimoires we'll never know exactly how many magical texts were lost to purges of ancient empires religious zealots looters and plunderers Uh, and it's it's tantalizing to know that some of these are mentioned in other texts and we will never encounter them because the people who didn't want you to know this numbered in the hundreds of thousands, perhaps the millions, and they had executed this conspiracy uh, thousands of years before we were twinkles in our grandparents' eyes. You know what I mean? Yeah. Do you think there's real magical knowledge that's hidden
1: out there that's gone? It's just lost because these texts are gone? I feel like there's gotta be some kind of knowledge, even if it's just herbal, hmm. some herbalism stuff, um, what certain plants can cure, you know? Right, like just medicinal. through trial and error over time.
2: I mean that, I'm sure that happens now. Pharmaceutical companies have sent people into, you know, into very rural areas of the Amazon to research plants, uh, the efficacy of plants treating disease. Uh, if we're just spitballing, I guess it's also possible that an ancient civilization could have documented the orbit of a comet or something yeah. that is so far out and comes so rarely totally. that we wouldn't be aware of it, possibly. We just saw last
1: – not this previous Monday, but last – or was it this previous Monday – but the no, where one there was previous... 48 hours
2: notice? Yes, we're like, oh, there's a
1: by Earth. giant asteroid that we are just mm-hmm. seeing for the first time.
2: And then, uh, you know, I think it's completely possible that there are books that are hidden and they were written by people who believed very much in what they were writing and I'm sure that there are suppressed works, uh, whether those are waiting to be found or whether they destroyed, they were destroyed or whether they Actually, can do something, whether it's possible for us to summon something. I don't know. I think we should try. you think we should try?
1: I kind of want to try. We should, uh, we should get Wolven in here Mm. again and, uh, Damien. Let's get Damien. Let's get him to, let's do it. Damien, the creepy kid from The Omen? Yes. Uh, yeah. he, he and then our friend Damien will get him to come in, too. That'd be a powerhouse duo.
2: Yeah. Can you go double Damien? Is that like... Yeah. It's not going to be like when two people in the same crew wear, hat, wear the same hat? I don't know. Two Damien's don't make a Shamian. Shamian. A right? right? Okay. Uh, well, All right. Well... We do hope that we do hope that you enjoy this episode. We're interested to hear what you think because there's so much information about grimoires, and there's such a, I'll say it, fascinating evolution here that we're going to continue exploring this off the air. It may have some. Updates for you, uh, or may have some updates from you for your fellow listeners. If you would like to read more about the evolution of grimoires, boy, have we got a book for you. Check out Grimoires, A History of Magical Books by Owen Davies.
1: And if you like this kind of stuff, go to grimoire.org. It's just a place where you can look up different grimoires. Uh, they're, They're listed out through a timeline as well with the purported written. Dates uh, and throughout the centuries. It's good stuff.
0: Do we have time for a little uh
2: shout out corner Excellent. Yes, thank you, Noel. Our first shout out corner goes to devin W uh with a He gets his own entire corner. Oh yeah, he gets a part he gets a part of the corner. Screwed over Devin, sorry. No,
0: nobody puts Devin in a corner. Yeah. Actually,
2: I
1: really like this. We're in one corner, cause there are four corners, obviously, and then there are three shout outs, and each one is in
0: a different corner. So it's more of a shout outs room. Yeah.
2: <laughs> 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 Alright, well while we We've are working ourselves. out, okay, we're gonna get some, we're gonna get some pen and paper and figure this out. Uh, or just some blood and papyrus. Devin W. writes in and says, Uh love your podcast. However, I was listening to you guys' recent show on the hemp car. When you guys were going through listener mail, you seemed to be under the impression that Vladimir Putin was the head of the KGB at some point. I didn't think that to be true. I did a little looking up and found in fact he was not. He left the service as Lieutenant Colonel. It makes sense since this is a narrative driven by the media lately. Anyways, just wanted to correct the record. Thanks for the thanks for great podcast." Devin, thank you even more for a a great correction. These are very important to us. Uh, This, Devin, you are correct. Uh, This was on me because the truth of the matter is that on July 25th, 1998, Yeltsin appointed Putin as the director of the FSB, the Federal Security Service, which is the successor to the Cold War KGB. Devin, thank you even more for writing. Uh, this one was on me, folks. It is correct. Uh, Vladimir Putin was never the head of the KGB. He was appointed the director of the FSB, the successor to the KGB on July 25th, 1998 by Yeltsin. So he was in charge of the, of, of the successor to that, he was in charge of the FSB intelligence service. And
0: was a high-ranking official in the KGB. Yes. Yeah. This one comes from Josh at Shivers Smash on Twitter. Uh, at Conspiracy Stuff, Noel, there are reports that the Smashing Pumpkins are legitimately getting back together for a tour. You are a wizard. No, sir, not a wizard. A seer. A prophet. A seer of sooth. A sooth sayer slayer yeah no um uh, that's cool i hope maybe maybe it'll keep billy corgan from saying dumb stuff in the press and getting sued over wrestling and going on alex jones that'd be cool play some music billy corgan i'd be down with that what why are you guys eyeballing me i i got i have issues i've got beef the guy (laughs) sort of you know (laughs) ruined my childhood by like being such a blowhard
2: and that's not the only tweet we got regarding Smashing Pumpkins. I
0: have feelings about Billy Corgan. No. I'm tell. sorry. Are I'm you sorry. okay? I just, no, I was just a huge fan when I was a kid. I thought he was such a sensitive lad. felt like he really summed up my teenage angst.
2: I liked it, I liked Melancholy and Infinite Sadness. Yeah.
0: I mean, those, you know, doing the 10 albums that affected your teenage years that's been making the rounds lately, three of them were, were Pumpkins albums for me. So, you know, why you got to do that to a kid, Billy Corgan? But anyway, another one. Um, we had Philo Cult uh, tweet at us. You guys asked the Smashing Pumpkins to get back together, and they did. You know, it was just an inkling. It was an inkling. That's well, all I can well say.
2: maybe, maybe there's something redemptive about it. Maybe the story of Noel Brown and the Smashing Pumpkins has a better ending.
0: Maybe so. <laughs> uh, Billy Corgan, I still love you, man. It's cool. I have opinions too.
1: And the last shout out goes to the Ben Randall at In the Weeds WBR who says, Yo, I don't even smoke weed, but I would totally smoke some sweet kitten whisper.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think that is hilarious. Uh, I yeah. think anyone would, really.
2: Well, you can always, you can always count on Bens. They're good people. <laughs> That's
0: so, well, right. If I'm being honest, Kitten whispers sounds like the name for a much harder drug than weed. <laughs> I'm just putting that out there.
2: That's true. That's true. It's like if you see a really mean looking, rough person and they have a very strangely, uh, soft nickname, you need to be frightened of them. Yeah. Steer clear. Yeah. If you see a seven foot two guy with visible face scars named sprinkles, run. Whoa. Yeah. Uh, Here's the other thing.
1: What does a sweet kitten whisper like sound like?
0: Are you gonna put something in there? I got, I got nothing, man. No, I'm not gonna put anything in there. That's not a sound that the human voice can make. Okay, <laughs> that is, that is beyond our right. meager powers in this room right I was gonna now. Try. It
2: would be unfair to <clears throat> kitten whispers. I'm
1: gonna do this. Is what a sweet kitten whisper sounds like. All right, go right. for
2: it. I don't know why that makes me uncomfortable.
0: <laughs> Gives me the ASMR tingles.
2: <laughs> yeah, maybe that's a, that's, that's a...
0: what I hear, man. It's like
1: um, it's a meow. It's a sweet little kitten meow, but it's also should we pop a
0: sweet kitten meowsy down yeah. the old dusty trail?
2: Yeah, I think it's time for us to be meowed.
0: Uh, yep. And Beam with that... meow, and
2: with Scotty. <laughs> All right.
1: If you have any suggestions or comments or you want to shout out any of that stuff, you can find us on Facebook where we're Conspiracy Stuff. You want to put me in my place. Yes. You know, give me what for. If you want to give Noel what for, hit us up on Twitter. We are also Conspiracy Stuff there. If you want to... Uh, I don't know
2: what. What do you do on Instagram? If you look at pictures.
1: If you want to look at pictures, if uh, you
2: if you want to see some behind the scenes stuff that we do here that may not make it to the air for one reason or another, you can follow us on Instagram. We are Conspiracy Stuff Show. If you want to check out our exorcism podcast, some of our earlier works while you're on the internet you can find every single podcast we've ever done at our website stuff they don't want you to know.com and hey if you haven't heard of that care bear movie and you're already online i bet you can find it on youtube it's true
0: and hey if none of that whispers your kitten give us an email drop it to us at conspiracy at howstuffworks.com each.
1: Visit Livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
0: That's Livenation.com slash concertweek to buy now.
4: I'm Katia Adler, host of the Global Story. Over the last 25 years I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico.
0: Your partner in unraveling the mysteries of true crime.
1: Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota.
2: Dealing with pests can be a pain, but relax, Terminix can help. Because when pests show up, so does Terminix.
1: With over 95 years of experience, they have what it takes to take on any pest problem
0: fast.
2: If your home or business has pests, don't stress it. Terminix
0: it. Visit Terminix.com to book your appointment online today. That's T E R M I N I X.com.